And at the age of 23, with uh, no design training, no business training, the common sense of the small pony, I, uh, I started uh, I started Paul LaFrance Design, which was cutting edge construction and design at the time. And uh, and that's the company. That's that's the company that we grew and defied every single you know law of you know I didn't have any business training, so I didn't know you know that. I didn't know that you're supposed to wear like a golf shirt with like a company insignia on the side. You know, I didn't know that you're supposed to be like friendly, but not familiar with your clients. You know, and I didn't know these business rules. So, you know, I would walk up to the door wearing the same clothes that people would recognize me wearing on TV because that was me. I was the same guy, you know, looking like I just walked off stage, walking into somebody's house. And within five seconds, I would be asking very inappropriate questions like, you know, tell me who you are. Tell me your hopes, your dreams, your fears, you know, and what's funny is that the vast, vast majority of people loved that I asked those questions. It was very, very few people that called the police. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's show is a little bit different in some ways, but in other ways, just the same as we always do, where we have an, a compelling and amazing story. But today's guest is a TV star uh, from HGTV here in North America, which is home and garden television. Now, his shows that he's had on for almost a decade, uh, actually recently he's been on a couple of them as well. And so we have Paul LaFrance as a guest. Now, Paul was the host of a show called Decked Out, where I got to know him. And then uh, there were other shows that uh, went. So there was another one recently called Home to Win, which is uh, where HGTV uh, selects a house and redoes it, and then that allows you to kind of uh, uh, give the house away. And now what he's done is created his own show called uh, BackyardRevolutionTV.com. Now, the interesting thing about this interview is Paul's story of not finishing high school, of finding out later on in life uh, that he's has some ADHD elements and he actually calls it interest deficit, not attention deficit and what that's meant to him and then how he came to getting his own TV shows, several of them actually on HGTV for that were then licensed all around the world to the UK, to Australia, to South Africa. So some of you from the different countries that are listening to this would have mentioned that in it really is just the power of story. But one of the other things that Paul really talks about is being authentic. He never fit in in high school. People really just didn't appreciate the fact that he was not quote unquote academic and was not interested in subjects that didn't have um, interest for him. And so that's one of the things we teach at CRG is that, you know what, is being authentic to self, being real to self, knowing self, helps you to bring your best self. And so my encouragement is, and we have over the last few shows, been mentioning our new e-courses that we have online. And one of them is our values course, which is what do you really value? And what motivates self in others? And so in that course, you not only do you take our assessment, you understand what are the core behavioral motivational values that are important to you? What are the needs and fears that are linked to that? And then the questions we ask you in the course is, are you living that and what are some adjustments that you might have to make so that you can feel fulfilled and this is not from a self-centered point of view but from a self-honoring point of view because you are wired at birth in a certain way and don't fight that so this is back to playing your strengths 
So as always, uh, you know, consider that to take yourself to the next level. As always, we thank you for giving you our most valuable commodity, that's your time. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, leave a positive comment, and then do let us know about the shows that really impact you. If, you know, if it, we operate in a vacuum, we don't know. So my encouragement is if you have a moment, you know, leave a comment, uh, contact us. If you know a guest that would be great, uh, let us know as well. So thank you again for listening to Secrets of Success. Now here's our show with Paul LaFrance. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, we have the pleasure of having a TV star on our show today. And, you know, we really got to know him and his company personally because we actually used his company services for our own personal mm-hmm. applications. And we'll kind of figure out what that is as we go through. But I'd like you to welcome Paul LaFrance to our show. Paul, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. It's, uh, I'm, just, I'm just glad the audio and everything is working because uh, I can make wood bark and sit up and dance, but I'm, uh, when it comes to tech stuff, I tell you, it's enough to drive me crazy. Yeah, I get it. I get it, Paul. And for those people that are, are listening that may be not familiar with you, you had the hit show on HGTV called Decked Out, correct? That's correct. Yeah, so it was decked out, which then uh, doubled into uh, disaster decks, where I was uh, tormenting poor homeowners who had uh, tried to build their decks themselves, which was always very fun. <laughs> and then uh, that came, that went into custom built and uh, home to win. Canada's handy. There were six television shows in in uh, in seven years, so I kept myself pretty busy for sure. For sure. Well, Paul, thanks again for uh, you know taking the time to be with us today. But I want to scroll back, and what we do at Secrets of Success is to really get your journey and your story. So uh, you know you're in this construction industry, you're in the design industry. Uh, you know what was kind of like? Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Ontario, Canada, or were you from somewhere else? Or how did this? What was sort of like family of origin times for you? Well, I mean, well, buckle up, Ken, because we're about to go on a fun little ride. The, uh, the, I mean, I was, I, the, the irony is I was born in Wimbledon, just out, just like literally you could see the tennis courts from the, uh, the hospital where I was born, just outside of London. No and, way, uh, like your accent is really kind of... Yeah, crazy. well, that's, and that's the fun part because, uh, because the true me is actually a Scotsman, so you, but no one would ever believe me if I was, uh, had the last name LaFrance <laughs> and spoke with this true Scottish accent, so that's the real me. But uh, yeah, so I'm Scottish-Irish. Uh, my dad... Uh, French-Canadian and Irish on my dad's side and Scottish and, and British on my mom's side. So, so there's a, let's just say that I don't really know who I am half the time. So I came, actually, I came here when I was pretty young. And, uh, well, what, just, and I interrupt my guests quite a bit. No, Paul, you do so, that. Do it. Interrupt uh, is that, uh, what was your dad doing in, in the UK? He was chasing a woman called my mother. And uh, so, so they they ended up having to leave uh, because my dad my my dad wasn't able to stay there any longer. So that's why we ended up uh, my dad my dad's Canadian, but my mom was, was British, and then, so we ended up having to come back here right when I was really young. And uh, you know, as opposed to you know my parents uh, having to split, so it was an easy decision for my mom to make. Mm-hmm. So then, uh, yeah, so I ended up ended up growing up in Mississauga, just outside of Toronto. And uh, let's just say that 
you know, one of the very first uh, things that I had to do, which was a horrible thing uh, growing up, but so many other people, uh, people have heard of this, I'm sure, is I was forced to do this thing called, uh, what's it called again? School, that's what it is, school. <laughs> and uh, let's just yeah, say that. I could just that, see the parents or the, the teachers and my wife, oh, teacher, by the way, Paul, just saying, oh, I, crap. I, I, I feel so sorry for them. Yeah. Well, because I found out later on in life, at about the age of 35, which I still tell myself was just a few weeks ago, that um, my wife was like, I think you may have some of, the, um, some of the credentials that make up this thing called ADHD. And, and I was like, oh, you know, whatever. She goes, fill out this little questionnaire. So I filled out this little 15-question 15, 15 questionnaire, and apparently I am the poster child for adult attention deficit disorder. And, uh, but that actually ended up becoming something that I talk about quite a bit, you know, because when I was in school, it made a lot of sense as to why, if I was actually sitting in a classroom where the teacher was excited about what they were teaching, then you had my attention. Because most people don't understand, you know, what, what happens in that particular type of brain. The guy mm -hmm. who diagnosed me first and foremost said, Paul, you don't have a disorder. You have, you know, society just has to call it that because it's different, you know, that's what society does. We just have to put things in boxes that aren't, you know, that mm -hmm. don't, don't follow our definition of normal. And so he said, if you have to call it a disorder, it'd be more appropriate to call it IDD, which is interest deficit disorder. Because if you're not interested in something, the blood is not flowing in the front portion of your brain. And so, you know, this was great, you know, news for my wife and I, because it meant that so when, when I was... So when people said your brain was dead, that was a legitimate comment. Yeah, oh yeah, well, I mean, I don't think anyone ever thought my brain was dead. I think they just thought There's my no brain... There's no blood there, Paul. I'm, I'm messing with you. Oh yeah, no, please do. They, they, most people just thought I was from another planet. But, you know, the, the flip side to the, you know, to the interest deficit sort of thing, like... My wife understanding this was important because now when I didn't pick my clothes up off the floor and put the garbage out, you know, I was, uh, I suddenly wasn't the most selfish person on the face of the planet, you know, mm -hmm. however, however, don't try saying to, my, to your wife after you get diagnosed with ADHD that, uh, you know, sorry, honey, I didn't take the garbage out because I'm just not interested unless you want to get hit with a rolling pin. That's uh, <laughs> not something I would recommend. But the flip side is if you are interested in something, you are razor sharp focused on it. And typically, we'll become better at it than most other people. And so that's, you know, that's what I tell parents across the country. I'm like, hey, you know, if you, if you have a child that's been diagnosed with ADHD, and, I, you know, I have a training seminar that I'm putting together on this for down the road, you know, you have to understand this is the greatest gift your child has. They're going to need help in their life for the things they're not good at. But the things they are good at, they're going to help a lot of people. So that's, you know, it'll mm -hmm. keep them, they'll be humble, but it will, uh, you know, they'll certainly, you want to guide them in that direction. So, but going back to school, prior to me knowing this, school was hell. It was being forced to sit in a seat all day long and listening to 75% of the time a teacher trying to uh, make me learn something in a way that my brain wasn't gravitating towards. So it was like a, it was like, mm -hmm. it was like being in prison for a long mm -hmm. period of time. So I felt sorry for, I feel sorry looking back for the teachers I had. Well, Paul, I mean, we actually have a course we teach uh, called Why Don't You Teach the Way That I Learn? So even beyond just I'll call it learning disabilities. I have dyslexia, so I, you and I can like have a party. Yeah, is, sure. Uh, is that a lot of times the way that uh, teachers teach, and this is not to diss them because I was a school board chair, is not interesting. 
period. That's right. You know, forget right. the fact that you had this sort of heightened uh, focus or lack thereof, depending on the uh, topic. Is that's it does a disservice. And then, of course, I had this. I have was, of course, you act out then, right? I was in the principal's office quite a bit. I suspect. Did you have some of those tendencies too? Yeah, it was. It was actually funny. I I didn't actually get in trouble as much as you would think. I think I just disengaged. Mm. So you know, so by the time I hit high school, it it morphed into you know me ending up now adding into the fact that, like the benefit for me as opposed to uh, so many other kids in the, with a similar type of brain, like who are just fast minded. It's you know I, I prefer to call it people with with who have a fast mind. You have a fast minded mm. brain. Is is that they you know, they end up taking on this label that they're stupid or they have a learning disability. Mm, and and mm-hmm. so I was very fortunate that due to my parents that I never had, I knew I was smart, but then entered the arrogance of teenagehood and I began to, in high school, I just began to question everything. So I, I would, I would question every single thing that I didn't agree with without reservation. And, you know, this made, this made my, my connection with say people like guidance counselors are rather entertaining to watch because because I was ever afraid as by as disinterested as I was in most topics and you know I had teachers that were drinking whiskey under their desk because they you know hated their lives which is a whole other topic of me now understanding mm-hmm. why teachers become despondent because they can't help kids because they're under rules of the way they can teach mm-hmm. a big group of people and I won't get into all that but I mean all I knew is a guidance counselor was saying to me all right Paul you're 17 years of age and this is how your life is going to go this is the path you have to follow. At 17 years with a face full of acne and a body full of raging hormones, you're going to choose now what you're going to do for the rest of your life. And, 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 and then you're going to choose to focus on the courses, get the right marks that you need to get into the university that you need to get into so that you can graduate with honors. And when you get out, there's going to be a guy there in a black trench coat waiting to take you to your dream job where you're going to meet your wife. And at that point, you're going to get married. You're going to buy your first house, have 1.5 children, buy your second house, fill that with stuff, and then live happily ever after. Now, and, Paul, uh, you don't have an opinion about this process at all do you no no i'm very it doesn't like appear like you I do don't, yeah <laughs> this is just all off the cuff but i but i was like hey well if that's the path of life then why the heck are you guys all so miserable so yeah they didn't really like that too much because because yeah. i made a point <laughs> of course now paul just me so i don't forget uh what did your what did your parents do what were their professions so my mom was a uh registered nurse so she worked a lot in prisons and so she was a very empathetic person and uh, dealing with, with people that other people would ignore, which, you know, or would be considered the dregs of society, and that's where my mom would be. And my dad, who was an equally just really loving person, he was the quintessential sales guy. My dad has probably sold everything under the sun, he, uh, whether he was working for a company, whether he was working for himself. Uh, he was just, he's just this people person. So I got, I got a good, mm-hmm. good measure of both, uh, you know, from both my parents and I think the rest from the mothership. But, uh, but yeah, they're, they are, they were the most tumultuous parents growing up. They still squabble every day. Now they live a minute and a half away and, uh, are the great inspiration of my life. And even though when I was a teenager, I think I wanted to ship them both off to an island, separate islands, uh, preferably, uh, to never to be heard from again. But uh, that just tells you how life changes. Oh, man. And we're, we should be brothers. I think there were some uh, things that were similar there, too, where my parents <laughs> were at each other pretty well every day. And oh, yeah. they now had their 65th wedding anniversary, if you can believe it. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, my parents are getting close month, to that. And I said, what? Okay, so you get oh, yeah, miserable together. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and both you and I are here. So here you are. You, <laughs> now, did you make it through high school? Or did they just say, hey, listen, get out of here? And then what did you do after that, Paul? So uh, I was... I had two credits to complete, um, two non-compulsory credits, and um, I was in my final year of high school, and I had a teacher named Mr. Milady, who was, uh, he was my English teacher, and he was the, the crankiest human being on the face of the planet. You know, I think he was so old that most of, most of him, he was, he was more machine at that point than man, and, but he loved to teach English, and and I loved English, so I always loved writing. I was, I'm a singer-songwriter, and these are, this is what I did with my spare time when I wasn't at the pool hall trying to escape school. So he recognized this in me. He, he, was, he was like, he, I remember him saying to me, he said, Paul, you're never going to fit into the system. You just aren't. So mm-hmm. he was the guy that gave me that, uh, that Howard Thurman quote, uh, who was a you know, uh, guy that worked side-by-side side with Martin Luther King, and he said that quote was, don't ask yourself what the world needs but instead find out what makes you come alive and go and do that thing because what the world really needs are men and women who have come alive. And that's what Mr. Milady had said to me. And, and, and I was like, when the day finally came that, you know, the Gestapo came down the hall to tell me that I could, I could, I can't just go to one class out of four. Cause at the time, the only class that I was attending was Mr. Milady's class. And I wasn't attending my other three classes. So they were like, you can't do that. Of course, my answer was, well, why not? This is the only one that interests me. So why would I want to go to the other ones? Remember, you know, interest mm-hmm. deficit disorder. And so they're like, I'm sorry. No, you have to go. And so Mr. Milady was like, well, we knew this was inevitable. We got away from it. it was, like he didn't report me. He knew I was doing this for months. And, uh, she said, well, well go find out. So he said, you know, you can complete, just go do two correspondence courses. You could do like underwater basket weaving and, you know, the mating rituals of the three-toed sloth and get your final two credits and graduate. And I, and I, and I, and I didn't, I was, because I was mad. And I, st- I still talk about this all the time. I didn't graduate on purpose because I didn't, I felt for me personally, and this is just for me at the time. And this, you know, well, I have four teenage daughters right now, four teenage daughters, I'll just let that ring out. Welcome, Dad. Yeah, welcome, Dad. Hey, listen, if you want to have a website over at our place, I guess we'll have a sleepover. Exactly, exactly. And and, and then under, now take that and add the, uh, you know, the quarantine factor and, you know, being homebound with a sea of raging hormones. But I digress. The fact that he, like, when I left, like, just leaving that, that situation, I knew that if I just got the graduation, my life could be easier. And it just, everything in my being, I, I was like, I, I, I had learned at that point that rebelling for the sake of rebelling didn't, didn't, won't do you any good. Like people are, rebellion is not a bad thing. It just has to be focused correctly. You know, I have like a, I wear a Millennium Falcon and a, and a Rebel Alliance, you know, uh, Star Wars insignia around my neck for a reason, but it's, but it's not to rebel for the sake of rebelling. And so I think, you know, I didn't know, I didn't understand what I understood uh, I don't, I didn't understand then what I understand now, but I still, I wasn't doing it just to rebel. I was just like, everything in me was like, I know so many other people. And this is me at like 18 mm-hmm. who feel like they're idiots. who feel like they're stupid, but yet they're hyper intelligent. They've just, they're in a school system that was only really acknowledging one form of learning. And that really upset me because I knew like friends of mine that were just, you know, pro- tr- being literally mentally damaged 
by a system that was actually uh, they didn't that with people that meant well. It's it's not about the people. It's not about some conspiracy. It's just there. I looked around and I looked at all these people that were being prepared for a future, and the adults in that future world are li were living in fear. Their their whole lives were were surrounded by fear. Everyone's waking up every morning terrified that if they don't that they at any moment they could lose everything that they have unless they do everything to prevent it from happening which means fear is their motivating factor to get up every day. And then they're welcoming the younger people going, come join us in this world of fear. You know, we will you prepare yourself, choose where you will go and then join us. And then you're wondering why kids are going, um, I think I'd rather not. It's like, come into the, come into the backyard with the dog with the big teeth. Come, come join us, junior. And you're like, I'd rather not actually go in there and be like, no, all the rest of us are in here. You have to come in too. And then you're wondering why kids zap out and play video games for, you know, years on end because there's, we don't exactly make the adult world look like a fun adventure. We make it look like this is the dredge you have to face every day. Yeah, welcome and to the burden of welcome to the yeah. burden of life. So, did you say that you never finished uh, high school? So I didn't, didn't complete. Yeah, it's a, I don't answer questions quickly, do I? No, uh, no, I didn't, and I still haven't. And and I intentionally did because I like the fact. And I'm not advocating, you know, drop out kids and be like me. But for me, the, the amount of the amount of people, so you, you mentioned dyslexia, you know, here's a great example because I, because I speak about this so openly. And that's one of the things I love talking about is the power of vulnerability and authenticity. Most people would be afraid to say, I didn't graduate high school because we're immediately afraid of what that does to our status, what that does to us from a social status uh, standpoint and mm -hmm. how that could affect our future. And, and that's the kind of stuff where I've just, by instinct, have just blown. Every time there's a wall like that that's up, I kick it in. And I, even if I, even if I'm like, okay, well, there's no real need to do that this time, I can't help it. You know, I'm sitting down in South Miami Beach, and I'm there with a big company. You know, that, you know, first few years of the TV show, and I and I end up talking on stage. And again, I talk about the whole high school thing and the story. And this guy comes up to me afterwards, and he's like a, in his early 30s, and this guy is a like incredibly successful software designer. In fact, I was using his software for my deck. The, the deck design that you got would have been this guy's mm -hmm. design, just to, mm -hmm. to give one degree of separation. This guy designed that software. And mm -hmm. he comes up to me and he's in tears because he says, Paul, how could you so freely just share to the world that you didn't finish high school? And I said, well, the only reason you're asking me that question is because there's something that you're afraid to share with the world. And he looks right at me and he goes, I'm dyslexic. And I looked at him and I'm like, he goes, I've been hiding this for years because I'm so afraid that if anyone found out, they wouldn't trust me. And I said, I said to him, I said, Lee, the opposite is true. If you broadcast that, mm -hmm. like, this is what I've done. And here's where I, you know, here's where I have difficulty. I'm dyslexic. I said, you've now gained people's trust. They're going to trust you more because everybody's got something that we are like not as good as the other people that doesn't fit into the mold. It's, and it actually, it, it binds people together. It creates more trust. And anything anyone tells you is selling, saying something different is selling something. Paul, it sounds like you um, sort of have a, a platform or a position now where uh, you're advocating for education to change. Is that true? Um, it's one of them. Yeah, I have many platforms because that's that's the that's also the uh, being a campaigner personality and the Myers Briggs uh, personality profile. Mm -hmm. uh, I I spent a lot of time, you know. Uh, just across the country, uh, been working on education reform. I would love to be 
doing I would I would probably do that as one of the two things I did full time. You know, that's why I was talking about the trade so much. You know, I'm advocating. You know, how many people would move into the trades if it didn't have the stigma that's been attached to it since the, since the uh, you know since the industrial revolution. So, you know, Paul, I, I'm going to interrupt you there and give you a stat that you can use that you might or might not already have for your presentation. So I speak at career development conferences for the last 20 years, you know, almost 10 or 12 times a year. Yeah. And one of the stats I use is, okay, this, now this is a Canadian stat. This podcast goes around the world. But said, so what percentage of parents were okay with their kids to go to trade schools? And in Canada, it's 2%. Yeah, exactly. And then if you actually ask the parents what percentage would like you to get like a no name, no useless bachelor's degree for, you know, <laughs> no application. Uh, and by the way, my wife used to work at a university, so I can kind of mess with this. Good. Is is 63%. Yep. So, uh, social you know, status. Yeah, and then my grade 9 teacher, and this is before I'm a little bit older than you, Paul, but my this is before computers. My grade 9 teacher said I'd never amount to anything because yeah, I couldn't, right, read, yeah. couldn't read or write. Now I'm a writer. I said, what the heck goes on with that? Well, that was the invention of the computer. This yeah. is the invention of the software that Lee did for you to create these amazing designs that you have for your firm as well. Sure. So I want to kind of slide into, okay, so you, you, you get out of high school. I can't say finish high school. Uh, how, does, how does this construction world unfold for you? Oh, you'll get a kick out of that. So... Uh, so after Mr. Milady's advice, I uh, advice to go find out what makes me come alive. Well, the first thing on that list was music. So you know, I'm the singer songwriter. I, you know, released uh, I've released two albums. You know, one I did in three days. The other took me six years to record. And you know, but no one ever knew. No one ever tied the music into to me as the guy on TV because you know I didn't I didn't allow that. Not, that we can circle back to that. But you know, but then I but then I did that crazy thing. Again, another crazy thing that people uh, say not to do, and I, uh, you know, I had friends saying, "Are you crazy? You shouldn't do this." Like by all means, like don't don't do this thing. And and I said, "No, I'm doing it. I don't care what you say." And I got married at 22 years of age. Now, where did you meet your wife? So I met her at a church actually, and she was the very first person that had the audacity to debate with me. Uh, of, the, of the of the opposite sex, and then uh, even more frustrating, she was the first person that would beat me in debates, which really drove me crazy. So I, I knew right then and there I had to marry her immediately, because I well, well, knew I would never ever. Choice. I knew I would never be bored, and we just had our twenty uh, fourth wedding anniversary, which is uh, which is crazy. Congratulations! And thank you, thank you very much. So so, but but then we had but then we did this other thing, and we got like a mortgage. Have you heard of these things? Mm. Uh, yeah. And, and so, so I, you know, I had to get like a job, which again, also remember ADHD brains is like, this sounds dreadful. Well, now so you're, meet, a, you're meeting your wife at 22. You must've been doing something at that time. Yeah. I was working at a bookstore at, uh, cause we were, we were involved, you know, we were involved with, uh, you know, doing, we were working a lot that not working, but by volunteering at this church and we were leading, you know, always had a passion for young people, working with young people, mm. doing a lot of music. And then, uh, but then when we got married, um, and, uh, had this whole mortgage thing, cause I, I had, I had a little bit of inheritance money. So we were able to buy a little condo. And so I had to get the, I had to, I had to get a job anywhere just to, you know, she worked for her, she was doing work for her dad as a law clerk. And I was, I had to get, I, had, I was working in the church bookstore, which is bizarre because this bookstore 
was at a church where you know people were coming from all over the world just to go to this one church, which is bizarro. And mm -hmm. uh, so it was like the highest selling bookstore in all of uh, all the country at the time. And I'm there, you know, serving people, selling you know ridiculous amount. And I'm just like, get me out of here. Like you know, I would end up going and buying you know uh, chocolate laxatives to put in everybody's coffee just to break the monotony. Because I was just like, please get me out of here. <laughs> so then, so then one day. Uh, a friend of mine came up and said, uh, well, why don't you, uh, you know, I have a fence and deck company. Why don't you, you know, why don't you come and try working for me? I don't even think he finished the sentence. Uh, so I'm at this point, remember, I just, at this point I'm 23. So I got married at, uh, you know, a few months into being 22. So this is like 10 months later. And now I'm married and I'm just like ready to, you know, drive into a hydro pole because I'm just so bored. It, he didn't even finish the sentence. You know, he could have said, I, I have a job. I, you can work with crocodiles in a sewer. And I would have been like, done. Let's go. I'll, where do I sign up? Where's my, where's my hazmat suit? So ended up going out uh, very first day on the job. First thing I noticed was the tools on the ground, and they were black and yellow. You know, they were DeWalt tools, which I have, you know, and I, I have exclusively now. Became an endorser for DeWalt, which is another funny thing. But the reason I love them is because they look like Tonka trucks. And I was like, hey, this reminds me of being a kid. And they made noise, too. It's a double trouble. And at the end of the day, I built something with my hands. Now, you know, you're on to, you're on to something here now, Copernicus. Mm. So, but then three months later, after building 7,000 linear feet of the same fence, starting to get bored again. So then uh, the day came that my boss was seeing that I was getting a bit twitchy. And so he calls me into the backyard of uh, a yard that we had already fenced in and said uh, that he had to build a deck there. And so he, um, he was building a very boring deck. And, you know, the, to, to understand the story, you have to understand that, that the, the three things being of the ADHD brain that I knew, always knew that I was going to be hyper-focused in. One was Lego because... It's Lego. Hello. I, mm -hmm. But I spent years, years and years just building, building stuff out of Lego. Uh, the, other, the second thing was music. I, that's the musician side because music connects to people. It cuts through it. It can transcend races, languages, you know, uh, you name it. And the third is people. I've always loved, I've always just loved people. I personally, I think I'm the only sane person. Everyone else is worth studying. You know, that's, that's the way I look at it. So, so going back no to that situation, there. no, yeah, it's, it's a little Tony Stark in me at that point. I'm just saying. Yeah, exactly. Well, fair, fair enough. So I walk into this backyard, and these, remember, these are the three things going in my mind. So number one, this deck just won't do. This deck is boring. This deck's not going to have any connection to these people whatsoever. They need to be in the outside space. You know, I picked, I looked at the window of the house where the deck is being built, and I'm picturing me in the classroom, wishing I was outside, and going, no, this won't do. So I spent the next ten minutes giving my boss all of my creative ideas that he didn't ask for in one continuous run-on sentence. And at the end of it, he looked at me and he said, Paul, and I heard this quite a lot growing up, Paul, please, for the love of all that is holy, stop talking. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't imagine somebody saying that to you, Paul. Yeah, it's hard it's, to imagine, it's, isn't it's, it? I know it's, it's hard to very imagine. difficult to put yourself in that position. So I realized that was impossible. And uh, so I quit. And at the age of 23, with uh, no design training, no business training, the common sense of the small pony, I, uh, I, started, uh, I started Paula France Design, which was cutting-edge construction and design at the time. And, uh, and that's the company. That's, that's the company that we grew and defied every single you know, law of, you know, I didn't have any business training, so I didn't know. 
you know, that I didn't know that you're supposed to wear like a golf shirt with like a company insignia on the side. You know, I didn't know that you're supposed to be like friendly, but not familiar with your clients, you know, and I didn't know these business rules. So, you know, I would walk up to the door looking exactly like I did on like, you know, like, like how wearing the same clothes that people would recognize me wearing on TV. Cause that was me. I was the same guy, you know, looking like I just walked off stage walking into somebody's house and within five seconds, you know, they would, I would be asking very inappropriate questions like, you know, tell me who you are. Tell me your hopes, your dreams, your fears, you know? And what's funny is that, is that the vast, vast majority of people love that I asked those questions. It was very, very few people that called the police and, mm. And, you, were, and, you were only and incarcerated was, for a while, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was they were minor, and they realized yeah. I was harmless after six months in prison. But, you know, it was they, they, the, the ability to connect with people helped me with my designing. And then we started, you know, re, like, I would, I would spend six, eight, ten hours at people's houses. And by the time I left, we had already signed the contract, like, hours before. And, you know, they're like, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning, Paul. You do have to go home soon, you know. And I'd be like, oh, right, okay. And, and this is all true. And, it, and, I, and I, we started defeating the competition. Uh, I didn't even know I was competing. You know, I, I was like, oh, is that, that's the case. Of course, we weren't making any money because I had no idea how to price anything out, you know. And I'd be like, well, of course, we have to put the golden calf with the vomiting lava in the middle of the project. You know, even if they can't afford it, you know, it has to be here because you know, the project needs to be right. And then my wife would be like, you realize we paid to do this job, right? And I'm like, what? Oh, what's money? You know, <laughs> my poor wife in the early years, mm -hmm. I think uh, she lost a lot of hair there. So, mm -hmm. so that, so I ended up, you know, so learning how did you on survive, the fly. How did you survive that, those moments where there weren't any margins and, and, and you, you got yourself... Kind of in that. We have no idea. I, th I think I think it was just God's sense of humor keeping us alive. You know, it was like uh, it was just like watching a train that should be flying off the tracks at any moment, but for some reason it stays on. And you know, this led to you know me becoming the kind of go-to guy for for anybody who wanted something uh, both interior and exterior, but particularly in the exterior realm. Um, that was out of the box and anything that was, that was creative. And, you know, eventually I learned how to, you know, do the business part, mostly because I had my wife who without her, I'd be in a ditch on fire continually. Mm -hmm. But, uh, and then one day I get called in to do this breakfast television spot because they wanted to do this 24 hour miracle makeover. And, uh, you know, somebody won a contest and I'm downtown in like this rough part of like Toronto and St. Clair Avenue. And, and it was a curb appeal. It was 24-hour miracle makeover, and I had to do this front porch, and there were other contractors in as well. And here's this TV spot. Now, remember, I've been on stage in front of 10,000 people as a musician, so being in front of a camera was no different. You know, back at, going back into school, when I told you I was bored out of my mind, the, the days that I was most excited was when it was presentation day. I could have been getting a 34% in the class, but for some reason, even though I was bullied and beaten up and I had rough times, a different part of my brain clicked in when it was presentation day, when I had to get up in front of people. You know, there's that whole thing that Jerry Seinfeld makes the joke and says, the, the people's number one fear in the world is public speaking. And number two is death, which, which means if you're at a funeral, you'd rather be in the casket than giving the eulogy. You know, so that, mm -hmm. that part of my brain never developed where I'm supposed to be afraid to be speaking in front of people. You know, it's, it's bizarre. You know, I get, I have, I've been more nervous having, you know, having a surprise male massage therapist than I was ever getting up in front of stage in front of 10,000 people. 
<laughs> so that's where, another fun. Where did, that, where did that comparison come from? Man, that is like out there. It's a very, very famous, very, that very famous story. Time. <laughs> yeah, my, my 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 wife setting that one up for me, where it was a big fan of mine who was, uh, you know, he was. Uh, he, you you expect when you're getting a massage that the guy, the, the person leaves the room, but this guy stood in there and just stared at me, and I thought that I would okay, it's a locker room situation. I guess I just have to slowly undress, but I was waiting for him to leave. He didn't leave, so I realized I was giving him a slow strip tease uh, uh, because I didn't know what to quite do before I got on the table, and then. Uh, realized that I was. We, this was, we I was like, let's let's, I let's go I back to the. So anyway, we're back. TV we're back. Kid. Let's go back there. So, so I'm there now. Remember, so I said, yeah, not nervous. So all these other contractors, when Jennifer Valentine from from uh, Breakfast Television, the the host, shows up, uh, and she's interviewing all these other people, and you know these guys are just like deer caught in the headlights. You know. The, the landscapers are like, they're like, say, tell us what you did today. And they're like, we put in rocks and dirt, you know, and, you know, very riveting television. Mm-hmm. And then there I am in my leather jacket, you know, sitting up against this, uh, this, this insane front, you know, a porch that I just built in 12 hours, you know, and I have this like slate diamond inlay built in, which was like my signature thing at the time. And I'm, you know, there looking like James Dean, you know, in my mind. And she's like, well, this guy looks interesting. So she comes over and she interviews me. And at that exact moment in time, and don't tell me that things aren't serendipitous, but a guy by the name of Mike Sheeran, who is, uh, who is the executive producer of all my shows, he ends, up, uh, he ends up turning on breakfast television for the first time after he had just gotten off a plane from Afghanistan where he had made an award-winning documentary about the Canadian troops on the ground in Kandahar. And he's coming back going, I need to rethink my life because I need to do something where maybe I'm not going to risk getting killed. So mm-hmm. he turns on breakfast television for the very first time and he sees me and he's looking, he's watching and he's like smiling to himself. He's like, this guy needs his own TV show. And the next day he contacts my assistant, who was my sister. And uh, a week later, we're having coffee. Two months later, we're sitting in the HCTV buildings and they're going, how do you feel about being on television? I'm like, I don't know. How do you feel about Swiss cheese? Like, I, you know, I'm like, whatever. And, and then before you know it, we're on the ground on day one filming Decked Out, which they thought was just going to be this nice little, you know, additional ancillary show that would be, because uh, at the time in Home and Garden TV, there was a lot of home and not a lot of garden. So I'm like, I would do this cute little deck show. And then the show ends up breaking every record that Mike Holmes had ever set. And it was like, you know, traveled around the world within a year in countries that are just, you wouldn't even think would be interested in decks. And, uh, and, but I, you know, I So just I stop, stop for a second there, uh, traveled around the world for decks to build, to be on a show. No, no, sorry. So the, the show itself, right? So the show mm-hmm. ends up being, was purchased by like the United Kingdom, like, South Africa, number of places in Europe, like Australia, New Zealand, like, like mm. it just, it, 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 it was sold. And, it, and, the, and the number one reason that we were given for this, for the success is because people were saying, you know, it just looks like you guys are having fun and you're not taking yourself too seriously. And, you know, people will be coming up to us, you know, and going, what? You know, you group of morons built that. And people have to understand, people on the show that are with me, they weren't casted. They said you could never cast this show. It was, it'd be like capturing lightning in a bottle because the boys on the show were all my brother-in-laws. Yeah, they, they're all family. Yeah, they're just part. Oh, is that right? Okay. They're all family. They were, and, and Katie, I had hired anyway. 
Kate, who was on Homes on Homes, the show, and she had, I had already hired her, you know, my wife and I, to hire her because uh, she, and it, not because of, we didn't even have a TV show. She, she had left uh, homes, homes Inspection and was coming to work for me. And, and then the show got approved. So it was, it's not like she was there because of the show. And then, so it, it just happened that people mm-hmm. suddenly said, you know, we loved the, the childlikeness of what you guys were showing. And there was no like host envy because this is like my family, right? So they're like, you know, we're not going to be kissing your butt because you're the because you're the the face of the show, and it became this unprecedented like ensemble cast of characters that were legitimately having fun. You know, and I, I think it was just something that people didn't expect. It was very. It was well, as a as a viewer, my feedback to you, Paul, is that you also did good work. You also did stuff that was unique, and so those of us that are interested in external design, you also brought some ideas and thoughts that were phenomenal. So, I mean, there, there was you. all of those things that came together as well. I mean, is it, it is one of the reasons why we reached out to you and asked you to design ours. Yeah. <laughs> Plug put in there. So, uh, that, and, isn't, and, and that's, and that's funny because of the fact that I, a lot of people have said to me, a lot of people in the design world have said the reasons we believe the reasons why your designs are so unique is because of the fact that you were not, that you didn't take design training, that you didn't, you weren't uh, programmed in any of the ways that have good intentions, but end up having you following what's been already done. And, uh, and I, and I, I think that's true. I do think that's true. Well, as a musician in that creativity side and, you know, we teach personalities, by the way, Paul, that's one of our business things that we do. I've written a book called Why Aren't You More Like Me? And <laughs> so I get that you have this sort of, not only do you have sort of this dynamic of attention, uh, deficit or interest deficit is mm. you also have this <clears throat> expressive creative side and so that you were just constantly pushing the limits regardless you weren't trying to comply correct uh, we already know you're a maverick but that you brought that to design yes you built it to code but you built it so that it was yeah. even at 23 when you said you're a boss take a hike this thing is boring uh, yeah. you already had the client in mind you already yeah. were thinking on their behalf, how could I create that? People <clears throat> now, focus, the, yeah. Excuse me. Your show, if I recall, how many seasons was Decked Out? Uh, so Decked Out was four seasons, Disaster Deck three seasons, Custom Built two seasons. O- overall, it was over 150 television episodes I did. So that 100. ended. And and so what, what sort of caused the end of the that relationship or to move move away from being on TV with these with these shows because a lot of people once they're in that space uh, they don't want to leave it well I think the um, I think I scared a lot of people uh, because of being not a controllable entity so when it came to the the my own shows so the particularly when it, like deck wars decked out disaster decks uh, and custom built um, that's those almost 150 episodes right there were um, nobody meddled with what I was building and they knew that they, that they couldn't, but at the same time, I'm very much a team player. So it was, it, it was a bit of a hard thing for people to figure out because the minute it, and it's not trying to knock the machine, right? But the machine wants to be able to control the, it wants to be able to control the, uh, the, the players in the game. And, you know, for me, they, they knew that, 
that if they told me to go left, but it went against any kind of moral high ground or something that I just, you know, it would force me to have to compromise something integral to me that I wouldn't be able to do it. And so if they said, we want you to change this design or we want you to, to create some drama over here that's not real, then I would balk against it like crazy. And I think, you know, it's never actually been right, come right out and said it, but it makes it by, when I look at who ended up coming in afterwards and some of the other characters are really great people, but they're all, I think I was one of the last hosts that was actually connected with a production company that wasn't a direct host to the networks themselves, because I think they want to make sure that they can control everything mm -hmm. that you do. And so, so doing, for instance, doing a uh, home to win, which was the show that came out afterwards, which was, uh, this show where we were all together, we would come in, a bunch of, uh, a bunch of HGTV hosts would come in and, and you know, renovate portions of, this, of a house and then give it away. You know, it's really fun and great. You know, every, I was bawling my eyes out at the end of every one of those four seasons. Um, but it was very difficult for me to do that show because, because, number one, I didn't have control over the design and neither did anybody else. And it was, but the thing is, I was the one that I felt was affected the most because of the fact that, you know, when there's only so much budget, somebody can design a room and it can be, you know, it can be look pretty, but it may not be exactly what the designer wanted, but, but, you know, he or she would have, would have a lot to say. But if I'm doing a backyard space, you know, because I did indoor spaces too in the show, but when I'm doing a backyard space and like your budget is like, you know, $10 in a bag of chips, but design something that is what people will come to expect from Paul LaFrance and I can't. And you know, now I'm building something that I would never build. Um, that was really, that was really hard for my ego, but in a way, but it, but it, but it was also really good for me too, because I think the ego is the thing that has to die in all of us in order for us to actually become who we're really supposed to be. And so, so it was good, good character building, good, good, uh, good death march there, just having to endure that. But this is the reason why I decided to make my own show, which didn't happen. It just kind of happened to us, to I say us, I mean, my wife and I, Jana, you know, we ended up having a company approach us and say, Hey, we just want to follow the puck with you. We want to take the camera and follow you doing what you're doing from the perspective of, we have some companies involved. We want to film you. And we made some, we made some connections with some companies that were on a large project, the one that ended up being on the show. And then after about a week realized that, uh, Unfortunately, our commitments were made and we had to take over. Didn't have a choice in the matter. This is about two weeks in. So I'm like, okay, well, here, well, we might, we're going to make a show. I want to make a show the way I want to make a show. Because, and Backyard Revolution is the show that I've always wanted to make. And what makes it different is the fact that, you know, in the 22 minutes that, that you have to tell a story in a traditional HGTV show, there's only so much you can share. You can't tell the story of the clients. You can't show mistakes that were made. You can't show the real reality. So, you know, for me, reality TV, the term had become, you know, not a real term. You know, it's like almost reality TV or mm -hmm. pseudo reality TV. And so I wanted to do 14 episodes of a large build. So that had a number of, so it shows all the creative elements people would know would expect from me, you know, there's over 45 different unique products, you know, some of them really revolutionary products that are on Back to the Revolution. But also, it shows all the mistakes. It is the most vulnerable thing I have ever done in my life because it is taking this belief that, particularly as a, as a builder, as somebody that you're going to hire 
and, you know, to do work on your house and show that there's no such thing as a large project that goes off without a hitch that, that mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's how you correct your mistakes, but anyone saying they don't make mistakes, including the biggest of biggest of names is lying because to err is human. And, but to explore those mistakes and have the camera right in your face, like for instance, me deciding like the Peter Pan that I am, that I'm going to do something with the decking on this show that I've always wanted to do for 10 years um, in a way that is not smart, but will be awesome if I'm able to pull it off because that's the creative brain. But meanwhile, threw $30,000 into a toilet and demoralized my entire crew and the camera does not cut. And it's really funny. It's really, really funny, but it's really real. And my anxiety is also really real and it's picked up on the show. And that's just one example. You know, I also have to do a concert that I put myself in a position where I'm doing a tribute concert for Gord Downey of the tragically hip. And I haven't sung in a long time. And as a musician, that's my worst nightmare to go mm -hmm. out on stage. I have nightmares of going out on stage and my, my voice is shot. You know, that's like a horror to me. So, I'll, so I'm going, well, if I'm going to make this authentic, I'm going to do this concert anyway. And I'm going to bring the camera in to the vocal lesson room where it is the most humiliating thing that you can do. You know, let's do this. Let's put the camera right in my face as I'm going, goo, 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 goo. You know, it's, it's, it's real. And, and it, you know what? It is liberating mm. to, be, to be flawed. It's liberating to broadcast those flaws. And not let alone to just people in general, but to guys in the industry. I've had more feedback from people that have seen the show that are just like, like, dude, that was awesome. You know, cause guys are kind of programmed, you know, particularly in the trades, you know, it's like a very, can be very alpha male, beat your chest. You think you're better than me. And I just, I've just never been interested. I've never been trying to be better than anybody, but it's really fun to watch guys. When you know that the other guy's not trying to one up you and is instead is being vulnerable. It's mm -hmm. amazing. I'm sure you've seen this with men. All it takes is one guy going, yeah, I struggle with, you know, yeah, I struggle with pornography or yeah, I've, you know, I've done that. Yeah. I've had problems in my marriage or I've stuff that guys would never admit. Yeah. I've, I feel like I'm a fraud most of the time. Yeah. I feel like I'm a 12 year old wrapped in a, you know, 29 year old's body. When people say it and they look, the other guys in the room look around and go, wow. Uh, this well, is you've where given, the guys you've given space to it, Paul. You've, you've now sort yeah. of opened up where people are thinking it, but they're not doing it. Now, can you believe it, Paul? <clears throat> We're almost done in our time already. Shocking. And, uh, <laughs> surely that's not true, right? <laughs> so uh, before I kind of uh, wrap up with some of your final words of wisdom, is how can people find out more about, um, you know, your backyard show and Paul of France? So uh, give them the websites that they can find out more about you. Yeah, so you can watch the uh, you can watch Backyard Revolution. Uh, it's we've released this in a way that uh, has never been done before. We went around the networks. That's a part that would maybe we should do a second part of this podcast where we go into that story because it's going to help artists around the world. So it's uh, I just I self released this show that I directed and produced. It's BackyardRevolutionTV.com, BackyardRevolutionTV.com, uh, and you can also reach that through my own website, which is PaulLaFranceDesign.com. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it is a, it's a very entertaining show. It is, uh, you're going to laugh. You're going to, you're going to be, you're going to be rolling on the floor laughing, making, you're going to love what you see, 
but you're going to get a lot of giggles out of watching the, me, me kind of floundering around, falling on my face. And, uh, and there's some pretty amazing touching moments in there, too. You know, mm. and I threw myself out of a plane in the middle of it, you know, because, you know, I have to. Why not? Kind of why not? I've done that. Why not, too. right? Why uh, not do that? Too, so just to scare the crap out of yourself. <laughs> now, Paul, with with the fact that we're out of time, and I apologize, that just the time just flew, so thanks for that. What would be, you know, one of the things we like to do in Secrets of Success is for you to share one or two sort of tidbits of wisdom. You know, if people are moving forward in life, I, I sense your passion around having kids you know, find a career direction that they're passionate about, not what the institutions want them to do. What would yeah. be one or two things that you would send, say to the audience members as individuals or business owners that would encourage them or thoughts of wisdom from you as closing remarks? I mean, I, there's, there's a number that I can pick from, but the, the uh, because I'm so wise, you know, there's another narcissistic mm-hmm, moment. Of course. Uh, I think the one that stands out to me the most is it's really important to understand the pulse of the populace, right? So, you know, the way Shakespeare talks about the mob, you know, the world in general, you know, to understand that right now, and this is like a pre-COVID thing, but people are more desperate for vulnerable, for, for true authenticity than they ever have. Like we're leading, we're living in the Facebook generation where it's like everyone, you know, I have 5,000 Facebook friends, but we're, and we're all very close. Like it's all nonsense. And the power of being truly authentic and vulnerable and leading with the things that you like, not being afraid of the things that you are flawed in. I don't even think that our weaknesses are indeed weaknesses. I think insecurity can be our greatest strength. Insecurity mm-hmm. shows shows the world that you are vulnerable and you care about what people think about what you create. And as business owners, as parents, you know, I think often like true being truly vulnerable, allowing yourself your flaws and your your uh, the things that you've tried to hide, you know, letting those be mm-hmm. seen. You know, letting st- let you put your emotions on your sleeve. I know it's a it's a it's a, it's a lot more to expound on, but I dare you. Because watch what happens in your relationships, the, the, the relationships that count in your life, when you dare to be vulnerable and watch the fruit of it. Watch what happens. Watch what happens in, in other people around you. Watch how you impact people by doing that. And watch how the very things that you thought that you'd be afraid of if you ever did that would happen to you don't actually happen. In fact, it's mm-hmm. the opposite. That would be the one thing I would say. Well, Paul, uh, thank you for that. And thank you for uh, spending the time and hanging out with us on the show. Yeah, man, it's my pleasure. I could do this all day with Captain America. <laughs> really? I, and then the thought never occurred to me. Uh, so, Paul, stay with us. But Secrets of Success listeners, you've been listening to Paul LaFrance. You know, go to BackyardRevolutionTV.com and watch his new show that he has self-released. And you could go online and see his legacy shows around Decked Out and some of those other shows that he had on HGTV. And my encouragement is what Paul had said is that being authentic to self, you know, as far as what your passion, what your purpose is, you know that's what we do here at CRG, is that the greatest gift you can give to the world is to be yourself and to be in that zone of high energy. So thank you as always for giving us your most valuable commodity and that's your time. And if you like what we're doing, please share, pass it on, leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening to. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. 
thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.